Amen. Thank you, Tori. Thank you to Andrew and, uh, and, and Robert. And Andrew, we don't accept your resignation. <laughs> James, can you just put that photograph uh, up on the screen? So who are these people, church? That's Andrew and Jan Bovey. And uh, this would have been in the notices, but I really wanted to speak into this um, myself, and I asked the, uh, the team if I could do that. So we're taking up a love offering for Andrew and Jan on the 4th of December. Uh, and as is the custom of this church, uh, for Andrew and Jan, who have been serving overseas now, I think I'm right, for 25 years um, serving as missionaries overseas. I might be out by two or three years, but it's been a lifetime. And uh, they're retiring from, um, uh, from WEC, yes? WEC, yes, uh, from their mission time. They're coming back to New Zealand. Steve Hills, February, March? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. They're coming back to New Zealand, and a whole new season for them will begin, and a season will end, and a whole new season will begin. And uh, as missionaries overseas, if any of you, and Jeanette would know this very, very well, our own Jeanette, that when you're in, in this kind, when God calls you into that kind of ministry, it's, it's a huge, huge call because you walk away from a whole lot of stuff, stuff that's familiar with you, um, homes and resources and family and friends and all of that kind of, you walk away from all of that because of the call of God on your life, Yes. And that's, that's the call. Now, that's not for everyone, and you can all go, thank goodness for that. One of the things that my, my wife said to me when we became Christians, um, she says, don't ever ask me to be a missionary. So that never happened. Except we, we were sent to Wellington, and we were missionaries in Wellington for 21 years, so there you go. So the thing is that we're taking up this offering, and one of the many things that I've realized about this church is that you have an incredible heart of generosity. Yeah? You do. If you don't know that, please hear what I'm saying, you do. So we're going to take up an offering on the 4th. I just want to say this about, about money. Um, money is neither good nor bad. It is simply a resource. It's a thing. What we do with it can either make it good or bad. So money is simply a resource. It's something that God puts into our life for us and for others. So here's what I want you to hear. What you will not hear from this church is telling you how much you should give. You will not hear that. You've got to work that out. That's between you and God. And we saw that in the um, uh, renew or what was previously prayer and self-denial, the offering we took up earlier this year and those in the life of our church, wasn't that just incredible what God did? Was it not? It was phenomenal. So with the same kind of spirit, I'm asking us, including myself, that I will go before God, I will say, God, with my wife Christine, Lord, what are you asking us to give? And that's what we will give. And often the figure that God drops into your spirit is not what you were thinking. Usually that's the case, Tori. Usually it is. And uh, so that's what we will do. I'm encouraging you to do exactly the same. Here's what is not negotiable, biblically speaking. To not give is not biblical. It's not. What to give, you work it out. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But to sit back and stand back and say, I'm not going to do anything about that is actually not 
supported by the Bible. And that includes tithes and offerings. The other thing is, it is not a transfer of your tithe into that offering, because Malachi talks about tithes and offerings. So tithe comes into the house to run the ship and pay my salary. And an offering goes above and beyond. And uh, next year, I, I am actually going to do a series, um, probably a couple of messages with the elders' permission on giving, because I think we have such a limited, wrong understanding of money in the life of the church. So stick around till next year. In the meantime, it is my absolute privilege right now to introduce to you a couple of friends of ours who have been here for about 25 years before I arrived. And I'd just like John and Sandra to stand up for a minute. And I'd like you to turn to them and welcome them. For those of you that don't know, John and Sandra were the previous senior pastors here and they retired. I think you spent 25 years here, John and Sandra, something like that. You retired about a year or a half ago, something like that. And today you've come back and it's so lovely to have you here. Can I just say this to you? If you don't know John and Sandra or their, or, their, or their story, the reason why we are sitting and enjoying this magnificent facility here is because of those two. That's the truth. And I know because I walked the journey with them. This guy rang me up one day when I was pastoring, we were pastoring in Wellington, and he said, Paul, how on earth did you do that building extension that we did way back in the day? So remember that, John? You rang me up and I said, well, why don't we meet in Picton? So I flew across for the day, you drove up there, we had lunch together and we just talked and talked and talked about how God had done that through um, what we were doing in Wellington. And I, I just watched this guy, John, just rose up. He said, man, that's the key. I'm not going to tell you what the key was, by the way. That's the key, and I believe you put that into place, John, and the rest is history. So we just want to honor you and Sandra for all that you did in the life of this church. Bless you both. In the meantime, church, how about turning to 1 Samuel chapter 9? And I just want to recap. Um, I'm a little bit short of time, actually, so fortunately I've crafted this message so I can cut a whole bunch of it out, so that should be okay. 1 Samuel chapter 9, just turn to that. I just want to recap over, as Tori said, um, the last two weeks we've been doing a three-part mini-series, or I have, and if you remember two weeks ago, the first one was from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4, where I preached a message, can we lose the manifest presence of God? Do you remember that? The manifest presence. We know God intellectually. In fact, sometimes in our walk with God, and you may have experienced that because I certainly have, that sometimes God just seems like he's miles away. Zoe, have you ever experienced that? And you're saying, God, where are you? I believe in you. I love you, Lord, but you just seem miles away. And it's in that sense that that message was crafted around that principle that sometimes we can lose the manifest presence of God. It's not that God disappears and you can't find him again, but there is a distance that occurs. And then we came into last, last Sunday, which is the complete opposite to that. The flip side is, what do we do from 1 Samuel 6 we preached out of, what do we do when God does turn up? Do you remember that from last week? What should be our response when God does turn up in that way? And the one adjective that explained it right at the end was we should respond when God comes in that way. We should respond. Don't sit there and think, well, he's talking to somebody else. 
He's probably talking to you, and he wants you to respond. And it's a heart thing. It's not a head thing. It comes out of your heart. And then this morning, I want to just land this series with something that's really, really dear to my heart. And it's been life-changing. It's not, and this is it, it's not what other people say we are or how, what other people say who we are. You know what matters at the end of the day? It's who God says we are. It's who what God says. That's, that's what really matters at the end of the day. When all is said and done, what God says really does count. And Ephesians 1.4, before we go into Samuel, says this, For he, that's talking about God, chose us, everyone say me, me. chose you and me. Before the creation of the world, did you hear that? Before the, this world was formed, God had you in mind. Isn't that an incredible thought? To be holy and blameless in the sight and love, and this is the part I love the most, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I looked up that word predestined just to make sure. It's in the dictionary. Predestined means an outcome determined, listen, in advance by divine will. By divine will. God's will. So from Genesis through Revelation, when you read and understand how God operates, each one is unique. We've been created for a God-given, God-planned, and God-inspired purpose. Even if you don't realize that right now, there's a God-given purpose and reason why you're here today. Someone say amen. You're not a fluke. You're not an accident. You're not a coincidence. And you are never born by chance predestined. God predestined this moment in time and he predestined you. So in that sense, we are not who others say that we are, even if we think we are. At the end of the day, you know who we are? We are who God says we are. You know, the enemy Satan will try to convince you differently, will try to lead you down an alternative road. Please be aware that not every road you go down will be the right road. Smile, church. Proverbs 14.12 says this, There is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Solomon's point was simply this, The road that you chose to travel may look right at first glance, but if it leads you away from God, that's the wrong road. That's his point. You know, it took me 28 years, folks, 28 years to realize that the road that I had chosen to travel was not one of my smartest decisions. And then one day, I met face to face with Jesus Christ, and everything changed. Yeah. Everything changed. So I want to show you from 1 Samuel 9 how that happened for Saul, and it can happen for us too. You all right for this church? We all set for the word? Righto. I'm not going to read um, uh, 1 Samuel 9 because we'll be here for a long time. I haven't got the time to do it anyway. But I want to give you an overview and I want context. Remember when I first arrived, I said when we're reading scripture, understanding the context is really important. 
Otherwise, we can misapply it. So this, the context of 1 Samuel 9 is this. We read the account of a man called Saul, whom God had determined would become Israel's first king. Up to that point, they had, they had judges that led them. So they wanted a king. God didn't want them to have a king, but that's irrelevant. They wanted a king. And in verses 1 to 7 of 1 Samuel 9, we're told that Kish, that Saul's father, sent him with one of the servants to recover some donkeys from the herd that had gone missing. So Kish, Saul's father, said, Saul, you're just a young lad, just getting on with his life. Take the servant and go and find the lost donkeys. Go and recover them. And in verses 1 to 7, we're told that Kish, um, uh, he sent them on their way. And it was during this journey to find lost donkeys, and some of you need to hear this this morning, it was during that normal situation in life, stuff that normally happens, it was during that time that God broke in to his world. He's just looking for donkeys. Next thing, God breaks in. I want to pause. I really do want to unpack that, particularly, I believe, for some of you here this morning. Saul is just a regular young man, just a regular guy, growing up on, on the farm with his dad. He's just getting on with his life according to Saul's plan. But God had something different for him. And God wanted to get his attention and say, hang on a minute, Saul, that's good, but what I've got is better. Are you ready? Are you listening, Saul? And you know what, church? God operates like that today still. He still does that. He still comes and searches us out when we're just going through the normal things of life. If you recall the story of Queen Esther in Esther 4.14, Mordecai said to her, and who knows, it should, uh, no, it won't come up on the screen. This is what Mordecai said to Esther, Queen Esther, and who knows but that you, Esther, have come to royal position for such a time as this. Because of God's providence, his plan, his purpose, Esther was called by God to save an entire nation. But she didn't know that when she was growing up. She didn't have a clue. But that was God's plan for her life. And as we look into this passage, we will see the kingdom principles that take effect when God First, when God saves us, it always starts with a decision in our heart to be a follower of Jesus. That's the beginning point. Secondly, he then calls us to do something with this thing called salvation that we've been given. Is salvation not a gift? Is it not a gift from God? At the very least, it includes eternity. But it's not just about eternity. It's about here and the here and now. So then there is the salvation component. There is the call. And thirdly, when those two things are in place, God fills you with his Holy Spirit and he empowers you for the call. He empowers you to do what we could never have done before without him. Someone say amen. 
So here's some principles. I just want to go through these quickly. First principle is, and we need to be aware of this when it comes to first being saved, then called by God, whatever that call happens to be, and then the Holy Spirit coming upon you to give you everything that you need to fulfill the call. First principle here, and we see this in Saul's life, God's call is always in God's time, His time. Salvation is a now now moment, it's a now experience, and the choice of salvation is absolutely in our hands, it's in your hands, but your call, the thing, the timing of that which God has predestined you for, listen church, that's actually not in your hands in this sense, it's in His hands, first and foremost, it's in God's hands. For example, you receive a call or a prophecy about whatever that happens to be, and you're waiting expectantly for it to unfold. I do remember this in my own life. You're waiting expectantly. I remember the word that I got from a lady that was part of this church called Joy, help me out. Um, that's it, Van Warren, Joy. Had a word, and, and I, I see you've got to be kidding Anyway, she, and she gave it to me in writing. And I remember taking that word into my heart and, and waiting upon God to fulfill that word. Now, you might be like me. You, you're waiting for a period of time. It could be one year, two years, three years, maybe more, Robert. Who knows? And you get to that point where nothing has changed. And you think, well, God, God's passed me by. I'm going to miss out. And you get discouraged because that's what can creep in. Discouragement can creep in. Because God said, you said God. And still nothing changes and you begin to lose heart. Let me tell you something that you won't hear very often on the subject of prophecy. Listen, church. Prophecy. And I'm talking now about a genuine word from God. That prophecy. Not a man-made thing to make you feel good. A genuine word from God. A prophetic word that you know is from God. Prophecy, in that sense, is never about what will happen. It's about what could happen. So many people come unstuck right there. And I'll explain why. Prophecy is never about what will happen. It's about what could happen. And what makes the difference between the two is how we respond when it doesn't happen. Hello, someone out there. How do we respond when it doesn't happen? Let me explain that. If God has declared over your life this or that, whatever that happens to be. And you you can be absolutely certain that God will do what he said that he will do. Isaiah 46, 9 and 11, this is the edited version of it. Remember the former things of old, those of long ago. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come over your life, what is yet to come hither over your life. God will make that known. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God speaking, what I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned, God says, you can guarantee I will do it. You see, if God has said it, he will do it. But here's the real point. 
If while we're waiting for God, waiting for that word to come to pass, we make decisions that are inconsistent with God's word, inconsistent with God's way, the prophetic word will likely remain unfulfilled in your life. God will still do what he has declared, but he'll choose probably someone else to do the job. Let me give you an example of that. So you're in the, in, in, maybe in this service today, and there's an opportunity to share what's on your heart, a prophetic word, for example. And so your heart's beating at a thousand mile an hour, and God gives you something. There's a word to speak out. And, you, and, and, and the, the danger is, because this is what it was like for me in my earlier days as a, as a, as a, um, as a Christian, I would try to rationalize the word, because why would God use me? And you try to rationalize the whole thing. So your heart's going a thousand miles an hour, and the word keeps coming, and, and the opportunity is there, and you don't say anything. So you just shut down. But what, what, what's, what drives that? That's driven by fear, isn't it? And then person three, door, three, three rows along from you gives the exact word. That's what I'm talking about. See, God... If you're not going to step out and do what it is God has called you to do, probably the word that was spoken over your life, which was from him, will remain just sitting there over your life and nothing will change. But God's word will still accomplish what it was sent for. He'll just choose somebody else. What a tragedy when it could have been you. Yeah? While we're waiting for that word to come to pass, be faithful. Be consistent with what you do. Just get on with your life. Honor God. Put Jesus at the center of everything. And what he has promised, he will do. Isn't that cool? In 1 Samuel 9 verse 5, Saul was ready to give up the search for his father's donkeys, and return home because it said, he said to his servant, come on, I've had enough of this, I paraphrase, let's go home. Fortunately for Saul, his servant uh, suggested before they quit that they should ask for God's direction. That was a good thing, good decision. In fact, it Saul agreed, and up to that point, that was probably the smartest decision that Saul had made in his, his entire life, up to that point. Okay, that's a good idea. Why don't we ask God? When we're waiting for God to fulfill what he has promised, church, we have to continue to believe that what he said he will do. God is never too slow, never too late. He's always on time. But please remember, it's always in his time and not necessarily yours. Second point out of this, it's God who initiates your call. In verse 15, we're told that the day before Saul was to meet the prophet Samuel, um, the Lord had already spoken to Samuel the prophet about his plan concerning Saul. So Saul was completely oblivious to what God was up to at this point. And here is the point. When God calls you, he doesn't ask for your permission. This is his plan, church. It's his call. It's his initiative. When God called me into pastoral ministry, I didn't get a text saying, Hi, Paul, God here. 
how would you like to become a pastor? It didn't happen like that. And if you really want to know the truth, being a pastor was the furthest thing from my mind. Hey, darling. And it was certainly the furthest from his. Because <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I did eventually pluck up the courage to share that with her. She said, well, good for you. You're on your own. Don't include me. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? This is, yeah, that's paraphrasing it. And you know what? I was cool with that because that was my out. Seriously. Because then I could say, okay, God, she's your problem. <laughs> not mine. And the rest is history. Took three years, but we got there. Well, God got there. Took three years. Here's something to remember. It's always God's initiative. But you have a choice in it. God will never force his will upon you. We have free will. God will never violate that principle of our free will. Church, he will never violate that. But he does take the initiative. Then we get to choose. Third point. How are we off for time? Not too bad. The third principle out of this uh, 1 Samuel 9. God always prepares the way ahead. And this is really important. If you sense a call on your life, I, I want to speak this into your spirit this morning. God always prepares the way ahead in advance. In advance. As I read the account of the stage of Saul's call, I'm intrigued by a statement uh, that Samuel made uh, uh, in verse 19. Samuel said to Saul, uh, be, and he said this to Saul before um, he would let him return home in the morning. So this is Samuel the prophet now speaking to Saul, who really um, is not on board with what's going on. And Samuel says this to him, I will tell you, Saul, all that's in your heart. You see, God knows what's in your heart. And sometimes God will use other people to um, articulate that and to kind of... Um, um, bring that out of who you are. They'll speak that into your life. That's the power of prophetic word. If it's a genuine word from God, church, I'm saying if you've got a word for me and it's genuine from God, I'm, in, I'm all in. Please, I want what God is doing. I want to hear what God is saying. But God will always um, prepare in advance. So here's, here's um, uh, Samuel said to Saul, I will tell you, Saul, all that's in your heart. See, God knew what was in Saul's heart, and he knows what's in yours too. Verse 21, Saul answered. Here's, here's Saul's reply, and this is what I do want you to hear. There are some of you here this morning, I believe absolutely this is a word for you. Here's verse 21. Saul answered, but I am not a Benjamite. From the smallest tribe, sorry, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe in Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you then say such a thing to me? You know what's going on here? Let me paraphrase all of that. This is Saul telling Samuel, who essentially is God, all the reasons why he can't embrace the call. That's what he's doing. Essentially, they were a list of excuses based on Saul's perceived inadequacies. Does that sound familiar to you? 
Let's just stop here. How many of you here this morning, please don't put your hand up, believe you can't do this, this or this, or that, that and that? Answer that question in your own spirit. Well, let me tell you something. That may be true, but if God has called you and God has purposed that you will, from his perspective, you can, 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 can. You will, 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 will. It's true. And I'm living proof of that, John and Sandra. You, you know us probably better than anyone in this church. You know what my weaknesses were? What my weaknesses are? But God still called me. That I know with absolute certainty. You, you could put a gun to my head. You could threaten to pull the trigger. It would make no difference to the decision that I made all those years ago because I knew God had called me. And all those 21 years or 22 years as it is now, he has sustained us all the way through. That's what God promises. And this is what Saul had to, he had to get this from his head into his spirit. Hence why Samuel was there to encourage him. Let me let you, I'll let you into another secret about God. God's call is always going to be bigger than you. It will be larger than you can handle. And it will be more than you could ever fulfill on your own. And do you know why? Do you know why that is the case, Zoe? Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't need God. The truth is, church, if God has called you, he will prepare in advance the way ahead. He will provide everything you need for that call. But you will never know or experience his providence if you refuse the call. You'll never know if you step back because of fear, stuff that may be spoken over your life and times past from other people who don't know the God that you know. If you've, if you've submitted yourself to that, you will probably never, ever experience the fullness of what God had planned for your life here on earth. You with me, church? Fourth principle, we're getting there. God will speak to you personally. He will speak to you personally. In verse 27, Samuel told Saul that he had a message for him from God. Actually, has anyone here, I might have asked you this before, has anyone here actually heard the audible voice of God? Put your hand up. So there's a few of us. Yep, I have too, four times in fact. And it's the most incredible experience because you know it's God. You just know. It's like a megaphone. I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole this morning. But anyway, the audible voice of God. Have you ever heard God speak in your spirit? So something comes in here and you think, oh, God's spoken to me, yeah? Probably a lot more of you. Through scripture maybe, another person, maybe a prophetic word. Who's had a prophetic word over their life that you believe came directly from the throne room of grace? Put your hand up. Many of you. And I hope that's going to be true for all of you um, in time. See, here's the thing, church. When God wants something done, unlike the Baptists, he doesn't call a committee. (laughs) 
He usually starts with one. One. He starts with you, the person that he's, that he's, that he's um, um, wanting to raise up, the person that he's chosen and called. He will start with you first. Now, he probably and usually he will confirm that with other people, and that's right to do so. That's encouraging. Andrew, you shared that this morning. But in the, in the first instance, was God not speaking to you individually about standing down? That's right. Unless it was Kim. No. That's right, Kim. He started with you. But then he confirmed it through others, didn't he? And that's often, in fact, in my opinion, that's always how God speaks. In my opinion. That's always how God speaks. So here's my question. What's God saying to you this morning? Ooh. What's God saying to you right now? Because he will be speaking. What's going on in your heart right now? Here's a thought. Fifth principle. If you get this far in the call process, God will empower you to fulfill the call. It's his power that works in us and through us. He will empower you. Let me just unpack that very quickly. The key to fulfilling your call is not in the first instance. Church, please hear this. It's not in the very first instance. It's not found in your ability. It's not found in your gifts or your talents. They're important. The key to fulfilling your call is God's Spirit at work in you. That's the key. I've said this many times. The Holy Spirit works in us first, so that secondly, He can work through us. But He always starts working in us, so that He can work through us. It's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that opens doors breaks down strongholds and makes a way where there is no other way. It's the Spirit of God in you, working through you, that achieves that. And the final point from Saul's example in chapter 9. Number 6. I want you to read that out, church, together. Let's do it together. Context will shape your life if you let it. Wow. Let me unpack that. So Saul was the son of Kish, a wealthy landowner and a farmer. Now you'd think, because Saul was born into a farming community that when dad passed away, or at some point when dad retired, that Saul would take over and run the family farm. That would be normal, wouldn't it? That would be quite natural. You see, but God had other plans for Saul's life, and he does for you as well. Many people today are living out of a context that has said to them, you should do this, or you should do that, or you can't do this, or 
you can't do that, or you're not good enough, or you won't amount to much, or how about this one, he or she are better than you. That's the context. And sadly, they've accepted that that is their lot in life, when in fact, God has other ideas and other plans. And because of a wrong context that they grew up in, they believed things about themselves that simply were not true. Some of you can identify with this. I know. I can see it in your spirit. Believed things that have been said that were simply not true. And it locks us into fear, insecurity, It causes us to step back. We have friends of ours on part of the Baptist, um, sorry, part of the Hanmer, um, the Hanmer Experience um, team, part of the team, um, Sue and Trent Hodson. And uh, Sue has a great saying. Um, she said, you know, sometimes with God, you've got to be courageous enough to step across the chicken line. <laughs> Come on the other side. You see, what happens is, Stuff can be spoken over your life, and this was true for me too. I can identify with this just like you can. Stuff said, things that happened, um, uh, family backgrounds can have an impact on it, um, where you were born and what city you were born in, the, the, what side of town you come from, all of that stuff. What happened to you when you're at school, high school, growing up in your work environment. Stuff spoken into your life from people who have no idea what God has planned for you. They have no idea. So stuff is spoken into your life. And what it can do is cause you to become fearful and insecure and you end up trusting no one. But I want to say to you this morning, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. The good news is, in the context of the kingdom of God, and that includes the church, because whether you agree with this or not, the church is God's representative on earth until he returns. There is no other plan. The church was his plan. It was his one master plan, the church. And here we are. So the good news is in the context of his kingdom, that includes the church, we can be given a fresh start. And that's the point. In God's kingdom context, the old is gone, the new has come. And I'm saying to you this morning, the plan of the enemy that causes you to continue living as a product of a wrong context, I'm saying, can be cut right off from your life today if you choose to believe what God says about you and not what they said. Where you were born, church, what your family background is, the color of your skin, whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're skinny or otherwise, blue or white collar employee, none of those things need determine your future or your destiny. As we have just seen in the life of Saul, when all is said and done, we are who God says we are.
I was going to give an illustration of that. But seeing I've been talking about um, hearing from God, I'm going to put that on hold. Can I have the music team up, please? Robert, you had a word pre-service. Tori, where's that microphone, please? Did you give that to Robert? Thank you. You had a word pre-service which really resonated at the, at the prayer. Thing. Would you mind sharing that, please? So in, in my uh, time, I spend uh, just seeking God um, around 8.30 in the morning, I, I just had this impression of, of sensing Jesus standing on the stage there and this scripture came to mind. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I felt that that was Jesus speaking out over us and drawing people uh, to himself who are finding that they're carrying stuff that they don't actually need to carry. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give it to Tori. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful for water bottles because they help me get my emotions under control. Okay. Young Zoe, this one here. It is Zoe, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So lovely to see you this morning. Do I know you? I don't really know who you are, do I? I don't know anything about you. Apart from what mum and dad said, you're a great daughter. I'm sure you are. Is that true? Apparently. <laughs> apparently, apparently she agrees. Well, you see, God knows you. So I see a young woman. Through your life, there's been a number of impediments that have come at you. Stuff has come at you. I, I don't know what they are, and I don't need to know, but he knows. And God would say, say to you this morning, Zoe, there is a giant inside of you that is yet to come out. There is a giant Zoe in there that God has predestined, purposed for a future that goes way beyond anything your parents could ever imagine or you. You have a desire in your heart. I don't know what that is. I, could, I guess I could try and guess, but I don't want to do that. You know what it is. You have a desire in your heart. Hear the word of the Lord for you this morning. You go for it. You grab it with both hands. You say, thank you, Lord. I'm going after that thing that you put in my heart. And you know what, Zoe? He will give you the desires of your heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, church, that's how God operates. And you know that since I've been here, I've been trying to and you've responded incredibly well. Trying to encourage you that what you just saw happen there, you've got the same kind of gifts. And we want to see you use them. God wants to see you use them. Wants to see you stand up and rise up in your spirit and 
Maybe for some of you, you've got to take them off the shelf and dust them off the shelf again for, for reasons that only you can explain. You put them on the shelf. Maybe someone said something or cut you down or, or undermined you in some way and you thought, this, oh, I'm never going to go there again. I'm not going to be exposed in that way. Well, I've got to tell you this morning, God's plan hasn't changed. That may well have happened for you. I don't know. But God can restore all that's been lost if you let him. Don't allow the context of negativity to shut you down and lock you up in the back room and still be a follower of Jesus. This is not an issue of salvation. When you, when you give your heart to Christ, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that, the deal's done. But there is a time where on, on earth where we get to use what God has given us. Isn't that right, Brenda? And we must use what God has given us for the church to be all that he intended it to be. Let's be like Saul. He was open. He didn't know what was going on, but he was open. And he stepped into that which God had offered him. Now, if you read the rest of Saul's life, he made some dumb decisions down the other end. And I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the call on your life. Please stand. Uh, we are going to sing a song. And, this, and again, the, um, the, the, what the song, what the music does, it just helps us center ourselves back into what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as individual people. But if, if that registers with you this morning, something that was said this morning, please, please come down. We'd love to pray with you or for you. Or you can have somebody who you trust in the congregation to pray for you where you're, where you're sitting or where you're standing. But whatever you do, church, please don't leave here today the same way you walked in. If God is speaking to you, let him, let him in, and everything can change. And if for those of you that want to go out and have a cup of coffee and some toasties and chips and all the rest of it, um, where is um, Trent, Trenton? Oh, is he? So he said $400, didn't he? <laughs> oh, I was $200. Oh, Dad, Dad, Dad's protecting him. I reckon it should be $400. Just kidding. If that's you, please just um, please respect what's going on here, and we'll see you out in the cafe soon. Tori, anything we need to add? Real good. So please come down if you'd like to be prayed for, or wherever you're sitting or standing, ask someone to pray for you. Don't leave here the same way as you walked in.